Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Here are today's top stories. Senator Dick Durbin condemned the use of FISA surveillance during a hearing yesterday. The program was allegedly used on thousands of Americans without proper cause. Former President Trump pleads not guilty to all 37 charges in a federal indictment. We have more on Trump's legal defense and how it could play out. Almost 300 absentee ballots from the 2020 election were found in a storage unit in Michigan. We'll show you how they got there. House Republicans announced their initial report on the probe into Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. It's the start of a push to impeach Mayorkas over his handling of the southern border. Spying on American citizens? The government is yet again coming under fire for allegedly abusing a tool meant for foreign agents. The Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, or FISA program, was the subject of a congressional hearing yesterday. Here are the highlights. Eight out of 19,000. Democratic Senator Dick Durbin is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. At a Tuesday hearing about FISA Section 702, he talked about American intelligence agencies spying on campaign donors by using FISA. FISA Section 702 is a provision in U.S. law that allows for intelligence gathering of foreign agents operating outside the U.S. As Justice Department itself concluded, quote, there was no specific factual basis to think the searches would turn up foreign intelligence. And 19,000 donors to congressional campaigns when, quote, the only eight identifiers used in the query had sufficient ties to foreign influence activities to allow such a search. The FBI previously came under fire for allegedly abusing Section 702. According to a FISA court-ordered report, this abuse peaked in 2021. At the time, the FBI had allegedly used Section 702 to make over 3.3 million illegal queries of U.S. citizens. After 2021, the FBI reportedly made internal reforms. Now in April of this year, the FBI came under fire again after this report showed the agency made almost 300,000 illegal queries into Americans. Out of those, 19,000 were made against congressional campaign donors, which is what Durbin touched upon at this week's hearing. Section 702 could expire this year. Matthew Olson, Assistant Attorney General, defended the program at Tuesday's hearing, saying, Section 702 has proven to be an irreplaceable authority that enables enables our entire intelligence community to work together to collect and to share and to use the information that's necessary to protect our country. During a speech last month, Assistant Secretary of State Brett Holmgren advocated keeping the section alive, saying it serves to protect the United States from foreign threats, from terrorists and cyber attacks, to espionage, and weapons of mass destruction. The section is set to expire on December 31st if Congress doesn't reauthorize it. Former President Trump pleaded not guilty to all charges in a federal indictment during his appearance in a Miami federal courthouse yesterday. He says the investigation into his handling of classified documents is a politically motivated attack meant to keep him from the White House in 2024. And TD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on Trump's legal defense and how it could play out. Thank you very much. Special counsel Jack Smith charged former President Trump with 31 counts of willful retention of national defense information and six counts including conspiracy to obstruct justice, concealing documents, and false statements. Trump, the frontrunner for the 2024 GOP presidential nomination, says the law that applies to the case is the Presidential Records Act, not the Espionage Act. 
He maintains that he had every right to possess the documents he's being charged over and says the law allows a president to take any documents he decides to. And this is why no other president, even those who kept far more documents than I, has ever been even investigated, let alone charged with a crime. Trump vowed to appoint a special counsel to investigate the business dealings of President Biden and his family if re-elected. I will totally obliterate the deep state. We will obliterate the deep state. And we know who they are. I know exactly who they are. They want to take away my freedom because I will never let them take away your freedom. It's very simple. They want to silence me because I will never let them silence you. They want you silenced. The 2024 presidential candidate used the opportunity to tout his campaign agenda, covering topics like energy, the border, crime, lowering taxes, and ending the war in Ukraine. And I am the only one that can save this nation because you know they're not coming after me, they're coming after you, and I just happen to be standing in their way and I will never be moving. Legal experts had mixed predictions on the case, ranging from it being a victory for the rule of law and accountability to the difficulties of finding an impartial jury and to it benefiting Trump's campaign. It only takes one juror on a jury of his peers to vote for acquittal in order for the defendant to be acquitted. If you get three or four hardcore Trump supporters who think he can do no wrong, who serve on that jury, that's going to be a very, very tall task for prosecutors. It could be a year or more before a trial takes place. A legal battle is likely to play out for months while Trump seeks to win back the presidency. Well, it's tough to say when the trial will happen. Obviously, Donald Trump wants to push this past the November 2024 election. And the reason is this. It's well established that no sitting president can be prosecuted. So if he wins, the case goes away. Even if another Republican like DeSantis wins, I would expect that they would try to fire special counsel Jack Smith for good cause. So I think delay is Trump's friend in this case. Trump was allowed to leave court without conditions or travel restrictions with no cash bond required. The judge ruled he is not allowed to communicate with potential witnesses in the case. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Almost 300 absentee ballots from the 2020 election were found in a Michigan storage unit. The unit was being rented by a formal local government employee. Thetford Township Supervisor Rachel Stanky says the employee was not aware what she was putting in the storage unit at the time and thought the ballots were old documents. Stanky first learned of the possibility of the ballots in 2021. She then told the state police none of the ballots made it to voters, but about 75% of them were marked spoiled. That means the voter would probably have been issued a new ballot anyway. The investigation into the ballots is now in the hands of the Michigan Attorney General. California voters revealed their thoughts about the state in a new poll. It asked registered voters questions on a number of topics, including presidential candidates and state issues. The survey was done by Emerson College Polling and Inside California Politics. It showed 25% of voters find the economy to be the top issue. 17% ranked homelessness highest and 16% were most concerned about affordable housing. A lower number said crime, climate change, and threats to democracy were important. The voters' concerns contrasted with Governor Newsom's description of the state's economy in his Fox News interview. The poll also revealed only about 50% of respondents agreed with a recommendation to pay each of the state's black residents 
$1.2 million. As for presidential candidates, 53% would choose to re-elect President Biden, and 32% would choose former President Trump. House Republicans released a preliminary report on their investigation into Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, finding him derelict of duty. The findings cite multiple instances of Mayorkas allegedly lying to Congress. The investigation is the most concrete step the committee has taken towards impeachment proceedings over Mayorkas's handling of the southern border. Green announced a series of hearings to further build their case in the coming weeks. The House Judiciary Committee would then decide whether to formally launch impeachment proceedings. Bud Light is no longer the top-selling beer in the U.S. Modelo took over the spot in May. The fallout from the brand's engagement with transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney continues to hurt the brand. Sales volumes of Bud Light plunged by over 24% in the week ending June 3rd. It extends the decline triggered when the brand rolled out a personalized beer can featuring the face of Mulvaney. Mulvaney, who has over 10 million followers on TikTok, posted a series of videos plugging Bud Light and showing off the personalized can. This sparked outrage among many conservatives, some of whom accused the brand of promoting a transgender agenda and called for a boycott. Governments and sports authorities are struggling to figure out how to deal with transgender athletes. Meanwhile, public opinion is moving definitively in one direction. According to a new Gallup poll, 69% of Americans believe athletes should not be allowed to compete on teams that do not match their birth sex. That's up from 62% who said the same in 2021. In other news, 45 million people from Texas to Georgia could see severe thunderstorms. Some areas, including Montgomery, Alabama, Columbus, Georgia, and Jackson, Mississippi, are under a level four of five risk of severe storms. The Storm Prediction Center said there could be a hail larger than three inches in diameter, wind gusts greater than 80 miles per hour, and tornadoes. The first round of storms will likely push into the Atlantic Ocean in the early afternoon. Then another stronger round is expected to develop during the evening hours. Thunderstorms are also likely in the northeast from New Jersey to Massachusetts, including New York City. Coming up, will the Federal Reserve leave interest rates unchanged today? And what does the market think? And China is building a base in Cuba, the Biden administration confirms. Find out what this means for national safety and how the U.S. can respond here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. The highly anticipated Federal Reserve interest rate decision is today. The biggest question is whether the Fed will raise interest rates yet again or decide to pause hikes this time. For what to expect, NTD Business's Don Ma spoke to an expert who's closely following this. And joining me is Joseph Trevisani, senior analyst at FX Street. Now, what are we expecting from the Fed decision? What do you think? Well, the market is pretty much all in that the Fed is going to pause. They're not going to do anything uh, as far as the rates go. Um, I think that's probably a reasonable, more than reasonable, I think that's pretty much assured. The Fed has said that they're not going to assess. The Fed's favorite phrase, of course, is we're going to be driven by the data. 
Well, the numbers that came out for CPI were pretty good. They weren't great, but they were pretty good. They didn't show a great decline, but they did come off. That is certainly going to give enough, the Fed enough cover to pause, and I think they will. The Fed sees all these data points, uh, for example, a record low unemployment rate. Why would the Fed pause seeing that consumers have money to keep spending? That's a good question. The reason, I think, is because the Fed doesn't want to overdo it either. There still is a distinct, at least historical, threat of inflation. And the markets will respond when they think that there is a possibility of something happening. In other words, because this kind of Fed move has in the past caused recessions, fostered recessions, that still has to be the default analysis. So the Fed doesn't really want a recession either. Its fondest hope, of course, is their soft landing, lower inflation and continuing economic growth. I think they're going this time to stay on the side of caution as far as not doing anything unnecessary to bring on a recession. They don't want a recession. What's the market expecting in terms of rate cuts from the Fed? Well, it's interesting if you look at it. If you look at the CME futures, it's a little bit schizophrenic, which it's not usually, because it shows one more rate increase probably in July. And then the market and the futures tilts towards rate decreases towards the end of the year. Well, the idea that the economy is going to turn that quickly and Fed policy is going to turn that quickly seems a little unusual. I think what we're seeing in the futures is a residue of the prior case that we're going to be in a recession by the end of the year because of the Fed's rate increases. Now, in terms of cutting rates, uh, historically, more often than not, the Fed only cuts rates when there's something wrong with the economy. And uh, I, I would assume markets know this. So um, is, is, there, is it expecting something that's not going to happen? That's exactly right. And that's exactly where my thinking is going as well. There isn't any reason to cut rates from where it is now. The economy seems to be tolerating both the rapidity of the increase, the size of the increase, without faltering, without having um, unemployment come down, without the economy noticeably slowing. The, uh, the Atlanta Fed GDP now projection for the second quarter is running at 2.2%. That's more than the 1.3% in the first quarter. So if there isn't going to be any recession, if it doesn't look like it, if we don't see any signs, there really isn't any reason for the Fed to cut rates. Thank you so much today, Joseph. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much for having me. Have a good day. Chrysler is recalling over 330,000 Jeep Grand Cherokees. They say there could be danger on the roadways. Regulators say some 2022 and 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokees, as well as 2021, 2022, and 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee L vehicles, have a mistake. They were built with improperly installed rear coil springs. If not corrected, the problem increases the risk of crash. Officials say the coil spring could move out of its position and detach from the vehicle while driving. Federal regulators will notify dealers of the problem, and dealers will begin notifying car owners next month. Those impacted by the recall should take their vehicles to a dealership for inspection and a free repair. The company that makes Instant Pot, Corel Dishes, and Pyrex Glassware has filed for bankruptcy. Instant Brands blamed tighter credit and higher interest rates in its Chapter 11 filing. 
It's owned by private equity firm Cornell Capital, which bought it back in 2017. Chapter 11 bankruptcy gives the company protection from creditors while it re reorganizes. With $500 million in assets and liabilities and $132 million in financing from existing lenders, it's unlikely the company will go under. Many companies make similar filings and eventually emerge to earn record profits. The Biden administration is flip-flopping on whether or not it's aware of the existence of a Chinese spy station in Cuba. Last Thursday, Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder denied claims of its existence, as reported by the Wall Street Journal. But this week, National Security Council spokesman John Kirby confirmed the Biden administration was aware of the spy hub. We speak with Colonel John Mills, homeland security expert and member of the National Security Council, who says China's been in Cuba a long time. Colonel John Mills, thank you for joining us. Chris, good morning, an honor to be on your show. Colonel, if the Biden administration knew about the existence of this Chinese spy base in Cuba, why did they deny its existence? Well, Chris, there's been an interesting trajectory of the Biden response and reaction. First, uh, they denied it. Uh, then the predictable routine, it was Trump's fault. And that's almost essentially what they said. Um, I can find news reports back to as far as 2000, uh, 23 years ago, where China was interested uh, in moving into the old uh, Soviet-Russian signals intercept compound uh, just uh, outside of Havana. This is not new news. Uh, they knew it. They didn't care. They were distracted. And in the end, they blamed Trump. What kind of danger does this spy base in Cuba and other parts of Latin America pose to America? Well, we need to wake up. Our national security community is uh, asleep, uh, distracted by other things such as DEI and CRT training. But this is just one of many points of presence for uh, communist China. Uh, signals intercept in Cuba, 90 miles from uh, from Florida. Oh, by the all, also they they uh, essentially have the same kind of facility already in the Bahamas, where we have a sensitive American facility. Huawei runs the entire infrastructure for Bahamas, so they're not just 90 miles south; they're 90 miles uh, to the east of Miami. Uh, they also have Gulf oil platforms in the uh, uh, Gulf of Mexico. Uh, a fair amount of that is actually international waters, and they also have uh, bought the rights to uh, Mexican oil uh, areas in the in the Mexican economic zone. So they're in the they're in the Gulf of Mexico. Also in Panama, they're also in Puerto Rico with fentanyl and other things. So they are all over the Caribbean. So they're all over the place, like you're saying. Let's just come back to the uh, spy base in Cuba. What kinds of risks does it pose to the United States? Well, my, my first concern is the lack of U.S. intelligence resources assigned to actually figure out what they're doing. Uh, I, would, uh, I don't know these things now. I'm not read on anymore. So it's not being paid attention to. So we don't even really know what, what China is doing in Cuba. But the question is further. Are they possibly providing defensive capabilities for their station? They do this in their other overseas facilities, uh, air defense missiles, uh, tanks, armored cars, anti-tank missiles. Are they possibly reinstalling offensive missiles? And some of these missiles are essentially dual use. 
So their air defense missiles that could range far could actually be used not just air, uh, surface to air, but also surface to surface. So are they reinstalling missiles in Cuba? And again, my concern is I have very low confidence that the U.S. intelligence community really knows what is going on down there. So we don't really know what's happening, but we do know that China's there. Um, you know, what can the U.S. do about this increasing sort of encroachment by China um, in South America? Well, the U.S. Uh, Southern Command commander in my, currently in Miami has expressed grave concern. We need to up the resources. Right now, uh, Southern Command essentially has no ships. The small littoral combat ships would be ideal. We should transfer 10 to 15 of those so we actually have a naval capability in the Caribbean, which we don't have right now. We need to harden South Florida uh, with air defense missiles, make sure we have interceptors on alert, which I'm not totally positive of that, uh, maybe even a surface-to-surface -surface capability. We need to inspect these Gulf oil platforms. We need to kick uh, the Chinese out of the Bahamas. We need to return to... Panama. We need to return Southern Command to Puerto Rico. We need to establish why Southern Command should be in Puerto Rico, not in Miami. So increasing our presence down there. John Mills, Homeland Security expert and member of the National Security Council. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. An honor to be with you. Move over, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon. A new company has joined the ranks of the top tech giants thanks to the popularity of artificial intelligence. The Wall Street Journal reports computer chip maker NVIDIA ended Tuesday's trading day valued at more than a trillion dollars for the first time. It's only the seventh American company to reach that status. The report says a surge in AI has fueled the skyrocketing of company shares, which are up 180% this year alone. NVIDIA builds semiconductors that are essential to some of the largest, most powerful AI systems. NVIDIA used to be known for PC gaming tech, but the journal reports the company's AI-focused data center has surpassed its gaming division as its main source of revenue. After the break, in Japan, a cadet shot and killed two instructors and injured a third during live fire training at a military facility. And South Korea sues North Korea over blowing up an office which was meant to help improve relations. We'll have the details soon when we return. Japanese police arrested an 18-year-old soldier today after he shot and killed two instructors and injured a third at a military firing range in central Japan. Officials said the three instructors were taken to a hospital where two died. Local media reported one instructor was in his 50s and the other two were in their 20s. The incident was the first such fatal shooting at a Japanese army firing range in nearly 40 years. The alleged shooter joined the force in April. Shootings are extremely rare in Japan, where gun ownership is tightly regulated. Last year, there were four gun deaths in the country. Among them was former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, who was shot and killed with a homemade gun in July. South Korea sues North Korea over blowing up a joint liaison office. The country seeks $35 million in compensation from its neighbor. The suit was filed with Seoul Central District Court, 
North Korea destroyed the building three years ago. It once served as a symbol of reconciliation between the two Koreas. A ministry official said this is the first lawsuit the South Korean government has ever filed against the North. South Korea estimated the total amount of damages at $35 million for the liaison office in a neighboring 15-story housing building. The liaison office was established in 2018 as part of a series of projects aimed at reducing tensions between the two Koreas. It was the first diplomatic mission of its kind. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is in contact with his Chinese counterpart to prepare for his upcoming visit to China. He spoke to Chinese State Counselor and Foreign Minister Qin Gong by phone. According to a ministry statement, Qin said there are new difficulties and challenges with China-U.S. relations. Blinken and Qin also discussed Taiwan. The U.S. State Department said Blinken discussed the importance of maintaining open lines of communication to avoid conflict. The Secretary of State is expected to travel to China this weekend. His trip was originally scheduled for February, but was postponed due to the Chinese spy balloon over the U.S. Fraudsters and dead people scored hundreds of billions in government payments last year. That's according to a new report by nonprofit Government Watchdog, Open the Books. We spoke with the founder of the organization to learn more about the report. Adam Angievsky, thank you for joining us. It's great to be on the program, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Adam, tell us about this improper payments report your organization just released. Well, it's distressing incompetence. It's institutionalized incompetence. Our auditors at OpenTheBooks.com, we quantified the improper and mistaken payments all the way back to 2004 when adjusted for inflation, and it's $3 trillion. And the Biden administration just admitted last year to one of the highest totals since 2004. It was a quarter trillion dollars that the Biden administration admitted that was mistakenly and improperly paid out. And what that means to every man, woman, and child across the country is your stake in those payments is $850. If you're out there and if you're a family of four, your family's stake in the improper payments of the Biden administration is actually $3,400. Your neighborhood grocery store has better in-house financial accounting controls than the U.S. federal government. Now, how do you define improper payments here in this report? Well, improper payments are defined as a payment to the wrong person in the wrong amount or under the wrong set of federal rules. So these are oopses, they're goofs, they are mistakes. Got it. And, you know, what kind of impact will these improper payments have on American taxpayers? You went into that a little bit, but can you go a little bit more? Well, think about this. Over the course of the first two years of the Biden administration, they've now admitted to more than a half trillion dollars worth of mistaken and improper payments. And much of that is outside of the waste and fraud in the COVID aid programs. So the Biden administration is on track by their own admission over four years to improperly spend a trillion dollars. And these numbers, Chris, are absolutely stunning, but they also underestimate the amount. For instance, last year, two soft social net safety programs, SNAP and temporary assistance to families, they show zero improper payments. The Biden administration just didn't report any on those, on those programs. And that's just not true. So the numbers actually go larger from here. Wow, that is quite shocking. Um, do you think we're gonna see these high levels of improper payments continue? 
Well, if history is any guide, this is a bipartisan problem. So all the way back to the George W. Bush administration, we studied through the Obama-Biden administration into the Trump administration, and now to peak all-time highs during the Biden administration now. So this has been an ongoing problem on a bipartisan basis. Now, Barack Obama spent too much money during his eight years, but we did find that he did declare war on these improper payments and actually held them to, to a level. Under Biden, they're peaking to all-time highs. What could be done to stem these improper payments going forward? Congress needs to do two things. First, they need to crack down. Agencies need basic in-house financial accounting controls. The error rates in some of these programs are between 15 and 26% of all the payments. That's completely unacceptable. Even over at the IRS on the earned income tax credit, their error rate is 31%. So Congress needs to crack down. Number two, Chris, Congress needs to, to make sure, uh, Congress needs to make sure there's resources for clawback. The American taxpayer, you know, we all, we all uh, want every dime of the improper payments that they admit to clawed back. And they're only getting nine cents on every dollar right now. And that again is unacceptable. Wow, this just gets more shocking with everything you say. Um, that's all the time we have for today. Adam Andrzejewski, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. The Belarusian president said that his country has started receiving nuclear weapons from Russia, and he won't hesitate to use them if necessary. And it's Greece's deadliest shipwreck this year. Dozens of migrants from Libya are dead after their boats capsized and sank off the country's coast. More shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko said yesterday that his country has started taking delivery of Russian tactical nuclear weapons. He said he wouldn't hesitate to order the use of the weapons if Belarus faces aggression. I have already said this several times in advance. There will be an immediate answer. I believe no one would be willing to fight a country that has those weapons. Those are weapons of deterrence. Earlier this year, Russian President Vladimir Putin announced the planned deployment of short-range nuclear weapons to Moscow's neighbor and ally, Belarus. Putin has emphasized that Russia will retain control of them, but Lukashenko's statement appears to contradict that. Lukashenko also said some of the nuclear weapons were three times more powerful than the atomic bombs the U.S. dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. The deployment is Moscow's first move of such warheads outside Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union. The shorter-range, less powerful nuclear weapons could potentially be used on the battlefield. Russian President Putin said that Ukrainian forces had suffered catastrophic losses in its counteroffensive. His comments follow Kyiv's claim that its troops had captured a handful of villages in the early stages of the offensive. Russia's President Vladimir Putin on Tuesday claimed that Ukraine's counteroffensive has so far failed. He also said that Ukraine's human losses were ten times higher than Russia's. The structure of their losses does not look good for them. What am I speaking about? Out of personnel losses, which are approaching the mark that could be called catastrophic, the structure of those losses is not good. Putin spoke to war reporters and military bloggers at the Kremlin. 
and some of his widest ranging remarks since the invasion of Ukraine. He added that Russia lost 54 tanks, while Ukraine lost over 160 tanks and over 360 armored vehicles since Kiev's recent offensive. According to my calculations, it's 25 to 30 percent of the equipment that has been supplied to Ukraine from abroad. Putin also said that Russia was open to peace talks over Ukraine, but that the only way to stop the conflict was for Western countries to end their arms supplies to Kiev. Meanwhile, Russian military TV says a senior commander of Russia's Chechen forces fighting in Ukraine has been wounded. But Ukrainian media reported earlier that the former separatist had been killed in an artillery strike in southern Ukraine. Ukrainian pilots could begin training to fly F-16 fighter jets as soon as this summer. That's according to the Netherlands Minister of Defense, Kaiser O'Longrun. We have to look at uh, what, what, what capabilities do, do they already have? How is their English language? Uh, what, what group can we start with? On what level are they actually? So yes, uh, this summer is our ambition, uh, and we'll see if that's realistic. NATO allies the Netherlands and Denmark are leading an international coalition to train pilots, support staff, and ultimately supply F-16s to Ukraine. Though a final decision on supplying the jets to Kyiv has not yet been made, Olengren said. The thing is uh, that it is, it is a very strong uh, weapon system, it's a very strong uh, capability, but it's not going to be available uh, anytime soon. Uh, and uh, President Zelensky, of course, knows that. The aim would be to have the training program fully operational within six months. Attorney Master Arn. This Dutch pilot is part of the team being assembled to train the Ukrainians. Flying-wise, well, technically, I mean, if you're a pilot, this is also just an airplane. But to fly a fighter jet uh, and to transition to an F-16, which for them would mean, like, different technology, different design concepts. A U.S. official, speaking on condition of anonymity, said training an experienced Ukrainian pilot on the basics could take as little as four months. Greece's Coast Guard said at least 78 migrants drowned today when their boat capsized and sank. And more people are feared missing. It's the country's deadliest shipwreck this year. Authorities said over 100 were rescued by midday, but it's unclear how many migrants were on board. The Coast Guard said the Italy-bound ship was spotted in international waters late on Tuesday, but those on board refused assistance. A few hours later, it capsized and sank, triggering a search and rescue operation. Local media reported that the boat had sailed from a Libyan town, with most on board being young men in their 20s. Earlier this year, the U.S. Congress passed a law to counter China's forced organ harvesting. In the U.K., a group of lawmakers is pushing for tighter rules to ensure taxpayer money isn't inadvertently used to fund the atrocity. A recent proposed change in law, however, didn't pass, with Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's administration saying it's an issue already covered by existing laws. Here's UK Member of Parliament Mary Rimmer making the case for the change. We must not continue to turn blind eyes to these horrendous breaches of human rights. Governments across the world need to step up on this. We need to be working together. But believe you me, China would be far more difficult than Russia. In 2019, an independent expert panel in London unanimously concluded that prisoners of conscience have been and continue to be killed in China for their organs. 
on a significant scale. It found practitioners of the banned spiritual practice Falun Gong have been one of the many sources of organ supply. When we come back, a British company has invented a new EV battery that can charge in just six minutes. Find out more about the new sports car that's the fastest charging EV on the road. And an off-road festival in Hungary draws 15,000 spectators. Participants say they would never give up their gas cars as Europe pushed for EVs. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. A British company says they've invented a new EV battery that can charge in just six minutes. Their new sports car claims to be the fastest charging EV on the road. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. Electric vehicles typically take around 45 to 60 minutes on faster chargers. The delay has always been one of the cons of EVs. But battery technology company Niobolt has developed a much smaller battery that takes six minutes to charge. So Niobolt has invented a new battery that can fully charge an electric vehicle in six minutes. And we've done that by inventing materials that allow a battery to be able to accept all that power, which is 10 times more than what's possible today. Faster battery recharge times produce much more heat, which wears out the battery's components more quickly. So Niobolt decided to experiment with materials that can withstand it. The company claims its new battery was tested over 2,000 fast recharging cycles without degradation. So we've done this um, by discovering materials that can accept that amount of power and engineering them into traditional lithium-ion type cell chemistry with an advanced power capability so you make the battery smaller with more power. Niobolt claims the new battery provides a range of 150 miles. The Tesla Model S has a range of up to 400 miles, but the Niobolt battery's recharge time is unmatched. At the heart of our battery are new anode materials that sit on the negative electrode in a battery, so positive electrode and a negative electrode. So they sit on the negative electrode and take in lithium ions 10 times faster than what's possible. Niobolt worked with design house Callum to produce a sports car for its new technology. As you can see, this, this vehicle is a, a sports car and it lends itself, a sports car lends itself very well to the technology that's inside it because it's fast, it's nimble, and that's everything that Niobolt is trying to describe when they're talking about their new technology. The Niobolt EV will be tested on the track in November 2023. The company hopes fast charging could change the attitude to EVs in the market. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. For over three decades, a festival in Hungary has been Europe's biggest off-road event. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Babod Off-Road Festival is pure fun for motorheads. The event draws all kinds of crowds from Hungary and abroad. I grew up in the old world. We didn't spend our time in front of tablets or playing with computer games. We went out to the playground. Well, here we are now living that old childhood. And we can be out on the playground again and do anything we want. Participants here represent a fading era, as diesel and gasoline begin to be eclipsed by electric vehicles. But Slavic says most would never drive an EV. Those who burn hundreds of liters of fuel and bring their children out here can be sure that future generations will follow in their footsteps. 
Any kind of electric car can come, they just won't touch it. Appropriate driving courses are also scarce. We're losing more and more of our options. There are less spaces where we can have real off-road experiences. The Babod Off-Road Festival isn't just a playground for men. The event has become a popular family outing. Nearly 1,200 cars and over 15,000 spectators make the experience unrivaled anywhere else in Europe. It's a community, a kind of off-road society, where people love to show off their skills to the applauding audience. And also, everyone helps each other. No one is left on the side of the road. No one is left in trouble. Participants compete in two categories, depending on their car model. There are production SUVs and custom cars, often made especially for this event. They're the ones who put the iron, as they call the cars, together throughout the year. Then they bring them here to torture them for three days, or maybe even destroy them. But once you've got the fun, nobody here minds. Electric vehicles might be making waves in the auto industry, but for some, there's nothing like the feel of a gas-powered machine. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Still to come, a 10-foot crocodile was pulled from a swimming pool in Florida. That story after the break on NTD News Today. Welcome back, everyone. It's going to be a special Father's Day at the British Whipsnade Zoo. A giraffe family is sharing a bonding moment. It's Bashu's first Father's Day with Wilfred. Zookeepers snapped this tender moment of the father and son reticulated giraffes. Bashu and the seventh-month-old calf enjoy some leafy greens during the hot summer day. Wilf, as he's affectionately known, is already eight feet eight inches tall but he still has a lot of growing left to do, especially if he wants to reach dad at 16 feet. Reticulated giraffes are classified as endangered. Their population continues to decline in their native Africa due to habitat loss and hunting. And over in Florida, wildlife trappers were faced with an adventure last Sunday. They were sent to remove a 10-foot crocodile from a swimming pool at a house in the village of Isla Madora. Officials arrived at the property around 2 a.m. after the creature was spotted in the pool. Video footage shows the trappers struggling with the reptile before finally subduing it and reining it in with a spool of rope. The crocodile was then moved to open water and released back into the wild. Now for an episode of Strong Mind and Body. Today we are going to take a look at eye health and get some tips on how to maintain our eyesight as we age. Here's Gina Marie. might not think about your eye health the same way as your heart or bone health, but they aren't something that should be taken for granted. You can do things to help your eyes stay healthy and functional. Here are a few steps to follow if you want to give yourself the best chance at seeing long into the future. Let's start by looking at the importance of a healthy diet. Good eye health starts with the food on your plate. Foods containing omega-3 fatty acids, lutein, zinc, and vitamins C and E are key. They may help prevent age-related vision problems like macular degeneration and cataracts. Try eating more leafy green vegetables like spinach, collards, and kale. Salmon, tuna, and other oily fish, eggs, nuts, beans, and other non-meat protein sources 
oranges and other citrus fruits and juices, oysters and pork. Next, let's discuss smoking. Smoking increases the risk of cataracts, damage to the optic nerve and macular degeneration. If you've tried quitting but failed, try again. The more times you try to quit, the more likely you are to succeed. Next, let's look at sunglasses. Too much UV exposure can boost the chances of cataracts and macular degeneration. The right pair of sunglasses can help protect your eyes from powerful ultraviolet UV rays. Choose shades that block 99 to 100% of UVA and UVB rays. In addition, wraparound lenses can help protect your eyes from the sides. And finally, let's consider computer screens. Staring at a computer, phone or tablet screen for too long can lead to several issues. These include eye strain, blurry vision, trouble focusing on distance, dry eyes, headaches and neck, back and shoulder pain. To protect your eyes from screen viewing, ensure your prescriptions are up to date and also be sure to take screen breaks every 20 minutes. Look at something about 20 feet away for 20 seconds. You'll also want to keep up with your eye doctor appointments. Regular visits to the eye doctor can help to protect your sight and catch any potential concerns early. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.